Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. Simon. How you doing? Hey. Hello. Hey Hello. Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hi. My name is Simon Brooks, and I'm the host of Conversations with Storytellers, a podcast of wisdom, thoughts, and folk and fairy tales from our elders, a meeting with professional storytellers. As we still continue with COVID-19 and our isolation, a lot of these conversations have recently been done online. Each storyteller shares their thoughts on our profession, gems of wisdom, and sometimes a story or two. I'm glad that you're here. Janice Del Negro is a professional storyteller and professor at the School of Information Studies at Dominican University, where she teaches storytelling children's and young adults literature and foundations of library and information science. This was another one of those incredibly rich and lengthy conversations, and this is part two of two. Here, you will hear Janice share stories and processes about her storytelling, amongst other topics. This episode runs about one and a half hours, but it is worth it. Please welcome Janice Del Negro. But part That's of cool. the fun of retelling a, a traditional tale that everybody knows is telling it from a point of view that no one has told it from before. And so that becomes something else to look at. I'm still trying to find a way into Sleeping Beauty, though. I can't. Oh, I can. I mean, she's boring, Simon. What am I going to do with her? She, she is. Yes. She's, she's asleep for the whole story. Although you could probably make a pretty good running joke about her napping too long. But yeah, you know, I, I have I have I got into this thing about wanting to retell all these big traditional fairy tales in seven minutes or less. Oh, wow. Right. So you could tell them in an oleo because part of the problem with. Um, it's not a problem, not a problem for me, but it's a problem for other people is that oftentimes folk tales or fairy tales, they're longer than that. Yeah. You know, they can run 15 minutes easily if even. Oh, a yeah. So I was, um, so I started with Rumpelstiltskin. That's a great story. And I told Rumpelstiltskin um, and that was, I was in a workshop with Lauren Nimi. And one, that's one of the things we did. We, we did this retelling thing. And there is really something to be said about that concentrated amount of time. You have this much time to come up with the outline for a story, right? You have 45 minutes to do this. And I do this, I, and, and it's, <clears throat> it's amazing how that focuses the mind. And so I came up with Rumpelstiltskin, and it's pretty much, the way that I tell it now is pretty much the way that I wrote it then. Wow. I mean, it's, I tinkered with it a little, but not that much. And um, part of it is that the structure of the story itself is so strong, right? So that it's hard to really screw it up. But I went from Rumpelstiltskin to Rapunzel. And then I told um, the 12 Dancing Princesses mm -hmm. is another one. And uh, I was working on Snow White. And at first I thought it was going to be this this sort of dark and moody story about um, the dark feminine and yada, yada, yada. And as I was, as I was working on it, it turned into something totally different. And all of a sudden there was, it just, so now I, I tell it from the point of view of the stepmother. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> and Snow White is a brat. <laughs> she is such a brat. She's a teenage girl and she's hell on wheels. And she's just, and this, the whole story is, is from the stepmother's point of view. And so my, what I had a lot of fun with was fitting the things into the story that people recognize from Snow White. Uh -huh. You know, right. um, uh, she, she sends the huntsman off to get to bring Snow White back yeah. because her father will be really upset if anything happens to her. Not because she wants him, just go get her and bring her back. And, and he does. And he, and, but, he, but even the huntsman is, even the huntsman was not possessed of infinite patience. <laughs> and finally, he says to her, um, fine, do what you want. Cause she, she stamps her feet and she says, I'm not, I will not go back to the castle as long as that woman, she meant me, is still there. And the huntsman runs out of patience and says, fine, stay here and freeze to death. I'm going, I'm going back before it gets dark and cold. And so he comes back to the palace, but on his way back, he changes his mind. Um, and he turns around to look for the princess because if anything scared the huntsman, it was me. And if anything, anything happened to Snow White, I, in deference to my husband, would have the huntsman's heart in a box. Oh. So we have, so I'm pulling these little things out of Snow White that everybody recognizes and using them differently in the story. You know, we don't know that she has hair as black as ebony and lips as red as blood until the prince finds her sleeping in a hammock. She's not like, she's not in dead. a coffin. No, we don't. We don't go there. There's just too much, mm, way too much happening there. So that was a totally, and I have to say that I laughed through the whole thing. As I was putting the story together, I laughed through the whole story. And I was just like, I don't have like any PTSD from having teenage daughters or anything. Right. Except I do. And, <laughs> and a friend of mine, also had a teenage daughter at that time. And I was like, it, I was getting like um, flashbacks to what it was like raising my own teenagers who. Oh my gosh. Honestly, I was just, they're, they're 29 and 30 now and they're just fine. Thank you. Um, but, <laughs> but teenagers, it was, it was tough. It was really rough. And, and I was, and I, I exercised many of those demons in the retelling of the story. <laughs> so I'm going to tell that, you know, in a, a week from tomorrow, I think. I really should look that up. Um, where, where are you going to tell it? Um, uh, Stories with Spirit, Cooper and Anne. Cooper oh, and right, 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 right. Yeah. We're doing five different tellers with five different versions of Snow White. I need to get so tickets for that. Cooper and Anne and me and Laura Packer and Milbury Birch. Yeah, i got to get tickets for that. That's so for sure. All doing... <laughs> There's five different versions of Snow White happening there. That's going to be so cool. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun. I love that. That makes me really, you know, Oklahoma um, Winter Tales used to do that all the time. And they had a storytelling festival in the winter. And they used to have, um, whoever their featured tellers were, one of the things they did was um, tell a different, was to tell their version of a particular story. Um, Fran Stallings knows all about it because she was very involved with them. Um, I remember one year, I think it was David Novak, uh, told Cinderella in iambic pentameter. I don't think anybody's really forgiven him for that after all. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, 
so um so i think that it's really it's a really fun it's really fun and it's fun for listeners and it's fun for tellers and i i don't know if it would work with with stories that people didn't know already right yeah so part of part of the fun is taking the story that everybody knows and flipping it right is turning it into something else and so that's while while leaving all of the while leaving the structure and the trajectory of the plot intact right Right. not changing the ending or altering the action of the story how much can you how much can you change the story right staying true to that sort of through line right of the traditional tale so it's really fun it is it is a lot of fun I like telling Rapunzel these days because all the kids, you know, have you heard the story of Rapunzel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the story of Rapunzel that you know, is it the Disney movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, they did to Rapunzel what they also did to the Jungle Book. And the Jungle Book was a great movie and I loved it, but it's nothing like the real book. And it's the same with Rapunzel. And I'm going to tell you the real story of Rapunzel. And then I just go at it and the kids are just, you know, so which did you prefer? And it's amazing how many kids prefer the original version and not the Disney version. Well, and it's and that's something I, that works really. I mean, I find that high school students really love that, really love that yeah. sort of tipping, hearing the the earliest versions of the tale that we have and then hearing the retellings. I mean, they, they really like the variant idea. I was working mm-hmm. with a creative uh, writing class once in a high school and... Um, you know, it was really funny was I had all the tech stuff, right? I had a smart board and I had all kinds of technology. And as I was introducing them to what we were going to be doing and talking about, I had all this, you know, electric stuff. And, um, but when I wanted them to work together, I broke them into groups of, into groups and gave them all big, those big pads. Those oh, big yeah, pads. yeah, yeah. And, um, a bunch of magic markers and and they were so happy to be sitting on the floor with these pads on the floor um with these big magic markers drawing things on the pages and crossing things out and using different colors and i was like i need to do this all the time um and yeah because that's so strong great stuff i was asking them what's pick a story that everybody knows and then decide what has to stay what has to stay in the story so people will actually recognize it for the story that you're telling right and what can go and so they were making lists of things and at one point i had a girl come up to me um she must have been 16 or 17 years old working with two other girls and she came up and said okay it's the sleeping beauty thing she says <laughs> and i'm like yeah she says so she was asleep right <laughs> i said yes and she had babies she had twins in the desert right i said yes and she says so there was no consent involved there right and i said depending on how you tell the story if she was asleep i would say that that is true yes that there was no consent involved there and she goes oh i'm going to tell the hell out of this story and back she went you know and i was like this is what we call the oral tradition yes (laughs) we're going to take this story that everybody knows and we're going to make it work for contemporary listeners. And it was just really, I, I'm, it was, it was really fun to do. I mean, I, I love them as a group. I find them 
I like high school. Remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's. I've been told that I work well with the little little kids. You know, the yeah. pre five year olds. Um, but I, I, and I do them. I'm not comfortable doing them, but I love anything from K up to twelve. Oh know, yeah, it's grade twelve. It's it's just brilliant because they're all so different, and you get different things back they from. They are them. different, and they they are. And what they what they remind me, high school students in particular, what they remind me is to not ever to not ever take anything because of how it looks. Yeah. Because teenagers are trying on so many things all the time. And mm -hmm. I've seen like these tough guys sitting in the back of the room thinking, Oh my God, I'm gonna have problems with this. You know, with their cigarettes are rolled up in the sleeve of their t shirt and they're <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like slouched in their chairs in the back with their legs out in front of them, and they've got their dark glasses are on in the classroom, and um, and I'm usually just grateful that they're not being disruptive. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember I'm I am remembering one particular incident here, and then all of a sudden at the end when we opened it up for questions, that's where I got the questions from. So when you're retelling a story, and I had these incredibly intelligent remarkable questions about authors being true to their work and um, how you had a, how searching for the right word was really important. And I was just like, and that's, that's one time that I remember really distinctly because if you were casting the bad boy in a high school movie, it would have mm -hmm. been this guy. Yeah. Right. So I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, he raised his hand. I thought, okay, be brave. Sure, that's the question. And we had this, and I, and I walked out of there thinking, well, that reminds you yet again to not make assumptions about anything or anybody or any teenager or any person who's in your audience, because, yeah. you know, you don't know, you don't know you don't. until you, yeah, until you talk to someone. And I think that's part of our difficulty. You know, nobody's talking to anybody. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I've I've always, you know, when I go into schools, it, you know, sometimes teachers will say, "Watch out for this kid." It's like, yeah, because right. that kid's going to be the best in the group. This right. is going to be remarkable, and and your teach, you know, the teacher's going to see something that she's never seen or he's never seen before. That I that happened that happens all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, I, right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I went to tell stories at some school in downstate Illinois, and it was the kids who were in summer school. And I got it, I got the word from the team before I even got there that I shouldn't really expect much from this group, right? Because I think it was like grade three to eight, and which is hard enough. Wow. Anyway, right? Yeah, right. And um, they were they were they didn't do well in school, and they were discipline issues, and and I went in there, and they had us all crammed into the teachers' lounge because it was the only room with any air conditioning. And it was one of those downstate Illinois 102 degree days. Ooh. You know, it's, I, I don't know if you've been in, Illinois is kind of flat. Most yeah, no, I went to, I visited Chicago and so, I couldn't believe it was my first experience with humidity. But when, oh God. But yeah. when you go to central Illinois, it's flat and there's nothing but cornfields or soybean fields. So there's no shade. So it's really, uh, it's, it's sort of blinding. Of course, I liked it because I'm strange. But anyway, um, so we're all crammed into this little room because it's the only room with any air conditioning. And I'm thinking, and they're telling me as I'm walking into the room, 
the teachers are telling me how bad this group is, right? How wow. terrible they are. And we had the best time. I mean, we had a ball and I, and I have, I have some theories about that. Um, but I, I remember having that we had a wonderful time. The kids were attentive and participatory and even the older kids were sort of in it. And I was, I was just, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a bad storyteller, but I mean, really when you have kids, it's something you can have difficult groups that just don't work. Mm -hmm. you know, that happens a lot. Um, so I leave there and I'm getting all the, I can't believe they paid attention. It was just amazing. They, they did this and I, so-and-so back there never does anything. And, you know, I was getting, you know, the stuff we get all the time. So I leave that event and I go to a, a small, a library in a small town and it's supposed to be a, a summer reading program, the same day, a summer reading program celebration thing. And all these kids are very, um, they're in economically in better in better shape than the kids that I was originally with. And my first group, they were um, kids who were really good in school, who had read over a hundred books over the summer. And they were hell on wheels, those kids. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were really literally a pain in my fanny. And I was just like, oh, because it's you get the you get groups like this all the time when when ha, when ten percent of your energy has to be spent on controlling the group, mm -hmm. as, as nobody else is doing it, right? And, right. and yeah. you're distracted from the telling sometimes, and it's but and it's a difficult group. It's not that it didn't go well; it went fine, except that mm -hmm. it was much more. Um, it required a whole lot more energy and concentration from me than just telling, right? Because I had to be the ring. I had to be the <clears throat> the coordinator of what was happening there. And um, I remember leaving and thinking, so here I was, I was in one group where they told me they were going to be awful. They told mm -hmm. me ahead of time they were going to be terrible. And they kept telling me that as I was walking into the room. And then I'm with the second group. Oh, they're such wonderful kids. You'll just love them. They'll be fine. And they were awful. Yeah. They were terrible. They were impolite. They had no idea how to behave themselves in a group. It was. Does the word entitled seem to fit that that well, second that's group? A good word. That's a good word. Um, and I just was, I run into that a lot. And, yeah. I, and I think part of it is, um, part of it is that people don't know how to introduce a storyteller. Right. So yeah. I would agree with that. Somebody who's going to tell a story, the kids don't have no idea what to expect. And they're not really given any parameters for their behavior, right? So, um, and I was left alone with the second group. Oh my gosh! I was left alone with them. There was nobody else in the room but me. So, um, when was this? Oh, where was it? No, when? What year? A few years back. It was a few years ago, and um, but you know those things that stand out because they are learning experiences. Mm -hmm. with, yeah. We hate those, but you know they're really good for us in the long run. But it was, um, I so I find that that happens a lot uh, when people aren't quite sure what you're doing and how they should introduce you or explain what you're doing. Um, and so that uh, I I keep those 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 little incidents like tucked away, the things that worked and the things that didn't work, and. Um, you know, I am very fond of a standing microphone. If I'm performing, if I have a stage, if I'm on a stage and I'm I'm performing somewhere, I like a standing mic. 
And there are reasons for that. <laughs> there are reasons for that that have to do with other, other times when I didn't have a standing mic and it was a problem. Um, I had a, I was telling ghost stories on some Chicago ghost tour uh-huh. one on a bus. Oh, you know, they had this bus that was um, touring haunted, haunted spots in Chicago. Right. And they were supposed to be up at the, um, Oh God, it's a famous cemetery on Chicago's North side. And they were supposed to be able to drive the bus into the cemetery so that we would have quiet, right. For me to do this really nasty ghost story this really and um of course they couldn't get in because the cemetery was closed right because it was after dark and nobody uh, yeah. bothered to check so they were parked on clark street in chicago on the north side of chicago which if anyone listening knows chicago knows is an unbelievably busy street right it's a big north south conduit and there's lots of restaurants and bars and so the place is like jumping all the time. So here we are on this bus, double parked in the street, oh, no. right? Cars, honking horns. And what do I have for sound? Because I, I said to them, I'm going to need sound on this bus. So make sure this, I had the, the, the sightseer mic from the bus driver uh-huh. to hold the button down so yeah. that we can talk. And that's what I had. to do this story and i was just like oh and people were smashed i mean they were just they'd been they were drunk and disorderly and i was like yep no more of these little microphones i'm gonna need i need a standing mic like all the time you know linda gorham who is a wonderful teller really likes um headset mics Mm -hmm. because she moves so much yeah i'm the same way so much um and I like a standing mic because you can play with it. You know, you, you can do sound effects with it and you can you can actually whisper with a standing microphone and they will still hail, hear you in the back of the room. But you right. can do that with a you can do that with a headset too. I don't like them as much. I don't feel like I, I have much control. Yeah, you, ha- you you do have a lot more freedom with a handheld microphone, that's for sure. I like a stool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I usually sit down. What I'm talking. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You have mentioned in the past that you like to excavate stories for emotional oh, truths that resonate with contemporary listeners. Tell me about that. Well, the excavation part is just like read a lot of them, right? Find a lot of them and look at them and look at different versions of the same story and variants cross-culturally and all that stuff just so you can gather as much information as you can. Right about a particular text or a particular tale. Do you think a lot of professional storytellers do that? I have no idea. You'd have to ask them. Okay. I, I, I am not commenting on anyone else's process, um, except the people that I know and that I can compliment. That I can compliment positively. That I can comment positively about. Um, that was a good, a good answer. I was testing you there. <laughs> so um, I know lots of tellers that do. I know a lot of tellers that do. And uh, so once you have this, you have to look at them, you know, you know, sometimes you'll find a story on the page and it feels like it's only part of it. Yeah. And it feels like the whole story isn't there. There's, it's sort of bones of a story. And sometimes if you get other variants, you can find other little pieces that maybe give you a hint. But I, 
but no matter what story you're telling, the uni the human motivation, the human response, the emotional response is still the human emotional response, right? So when you're looking at, some, you know, in folktales, I, I say this a lot too, everything is alive in them, right? In folktales, everything's alive. I mean, mm -hmm. stones will speak to you, fish stick their heads out of the water for a conversation, giants hide their hearts inside trees. You know, I mean, there's, there's remarkable things can happen in the world, the parameters of that world. Mm -hmm. But within that space, the emotional response, the human emotional response is still the human emotional response. So Simon, if you're going for a walk in the woods, which I know that you do periodically, I've seen pictures. I do. <laughs> I do. And you were you came to some sort of like river and you were standing at the edge of the river and some fish poked his head out of poked his 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 nose uh, poked his head out of the water and spoke to you what would you do Well I, if it was me as a storyteller I would crouch down and speak to it back You'd crouch down and speak to it but would you be surprised I initially yeah Uh-huh so but I would I would totally run with it Your initial response which is what which is what the character in the fairy tale does. They right. totally run with it, right? They just run with it. And that, and that leads to their success because they're willing to run with it. Um, but first they react to it, right? First they yeah. react. Right. The fish talks to you and you think, what did I eat? Did yeah. I think that much last night? You know, I mean, <laughs> so you first react to the strangeness of the situation and then you run with it, right? And then you go. And so a lot of that, I find that to be really helpful. And I also find that what's often missing in story is character motivation. Yes. And so that's something else I look at a lot. Is I dick around with one of the um, Norwegian stories because there was, there, there was no motivation. Right. And it, it's the the boy who turned himself and who could turn himself into an ant, a falcon, and a lion. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, is and that the magician's duel one. Is that the what? Sorry, is that the magician's duel one or something else? Duel, D U E L. No, it's not. It's not that one. It's um, he, uh, he, the the, the princess, the princesses are stolen away by trolls. Right. And, and so the boy has to go and find it. Uh, where the trolls have taken the princesses and the boy is given this this task and and basically in the story he comes across these animals that are fighting over this dead horse and they ask him to well choose one of the you know we don't know which bits we should eat and we're fighting could you decide for us and so the boy says well yeah i think the ant should get have the brains because it can climb inside all those creepy crawly places right and then the falcon gets all <laughs> yes, right. And the falcon gets all the 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 you know the liver and the kidneys because it can pull those bits out. Right. And the, and the lion can have all the muscles and the meat because that's what it's good at, right? And and that's how they. Just, and I was like, and then they give him the the ability to shape shift to right. turn into those creatures. And I'm like, that's really naff. That's really like that's you know all he's doing is like, well, it's common sense. You should do this, this, and this. He's solving their problem, but of course, right. And so what I did, I, I I didn't think that the gift was appropriate to the challenge. Okay. Yeah, right. And so I changed it. Well, I well one of the things that I changed was the I changed the boy into a girl. 
because I was so fed up of all these ragtag boys ending up rescuing the princess. So I turned it into a girl and she comes around the corner and she sees this old man being attacked by these three creatures. And so she draws, draws her sword, takes all of her courage in, that she can muster and goes and kills them all. And because she does that, the old man grant, you know, gives her this, the shape-shifting abilities. Ability. And I love the, I love those helper figures in stories. Yeah. You know, they are really, I, I have, it's, it's also, no, it's also Scandinavian. Um, a story about a, a, a king who won't let anybody marry the princess. Yeah, let, we'll talk about that. There's a lot of those going around, actually. These fathers who have unnatural affection for their daughters um, yeah. can be quite uh, an interesting path to take through traditional story. Um, that you have to be able to herd rabbits in order to marry the princess. Mm -hmm. And of course, the three brothers, the two older brothers are, who are so cocksure that they can do it, um, go off to the palace to herd rabbits and win the princess. And on the way, they meet this, the first brother meets this old woman who has her nose caught in a crack in a log. And she wants, which is hilarious to start with, and she wants help. And he says, oh, I can't help you. I'm too busy. I have to go to the palace. And of course, he goes and he fails. Right. And then the second brother laughs at the first brother and he goes to the palace and he meets the same old woman and he won't help her either. And so he goes to the palace and he fails. And the third brother, who who is the youngest brother and who everybody thinks isn't very bright, you know, packs up his sandwich and he off he goes. Right. And he runs into this old woman and she says, I've been here for this long and no one has helped me. And so he's like, oh, mother, you this is terrible. Let me help you. And so he gets her out of her predicament. And she's sitting on the log and she's rubbing her nose and she looks at him at this young man. And he's, you know, he's, my, aren't you pretty? She says to him, <laughs> and you've been so good to me. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you some advice and a gift. And so she does, she gives him advice and she gives him a whistle. And the whistle, the set of pipes will herd the rabbits. And so uh, he goes off to the palace and he is successful where everyone else has failed, you know, three days in a row. And um, in those three days, the way that I tell the story, you know, he meets the princess and they have a little chat. And so when we get to the point where the father is like, well, you can't marry my daughter. And the princess says, you promised. And the father says, you can't marry this boy. She says, you promised. What is what is the worth of a king's promise? And yeah. so gives in because she wants she wants to marry him. Yeah. She wants him at the end. So it's like this not she's not so much the prize as the one who makes this makes the marriage happen. Yeah. Right. So there's another there's another story that I tell where the princess is a real brat. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, she's a real brat in the in the story that's recorded, right? And and I'm like, what you know, why would he want to marry her? And he's just like this little snot-nosed kid, right? And so he he gets to meet the princess at the end and they have a conversation and they he decides that he'll he'll just take half the kingdom and not not the hat. He says, I, I I'm just a lowly commoner. You need to find a prince for this woman. <laughs> and because of that, he lived happily ever after. And because of that, he lived happily absolutely. <laughs> Yes, he does. It's like it's and it's so it's so interesting to me because and, and people stop and say, well, 
you have this romantic fairy tale and everybody lives happily ever after and there's all this stuff and how come it's always it's always true love and and money i said because that's what people want right and said so you talk about it like this is something people don't want right everybody wants true love everybody wants that passion in their life everybody wants it everybody wants to have enough did right? you write a book about that did i was it called know, like midlife or something like that oh i put a story i was in a on a on a recording with dan ketting uh-huh we did a we recorded um daniel chinnon's story for midlife i think was the name of it i can't even remember now isn't that terrible i mean has no? a, i don't even know what i'm it's, doing it's 2020 <laughs> nothing's nothing's terrible it's just 2020 <laughs> and so yeah so there was so i'm always i'm interested in that i'm interested in the in the emotional truth of the character like why would a character do that and can you set it up in such a way that the motivation is clear without being oh pedantic or over explaining or um making the motivation the story instead of the story being the story and how do you uh, make the story move because if you're trying to tell something you know what works on the page doesn't it doesn't always work in the air Right, so you have yeah, to absolutely. finagle that a little. How do you figure out how that works? Um, I I I really want to I really want to figure out a way into Sleeping Beauty, but so far I haven't found it. But I started I started retelling East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Oh, I love that story, which I love, and um, I was in my you know fairy tales in seven minutes mode, and this is going to be an epic because I started to do it and I was like, this is just not going to. There's lots of pieces. I'm not going to be able to, I mean, I could maybe as an exercise compress it, but part of what makes that story work really well, I think is the, the evocation of the snow. Yeah. It's space. Right, the, the story is about space. All about the space, right? Yeah. She, he, her mother talks her into leaving with this bear um so there's a story there right there's a story there about the relationship between the daughter and the mother mm -hmm. um she gets on she gets onto the bear's back with hardly anything with everything she owns which is hardly anything and it's freezing and it's dark and you know the snow is falling and he asks her are you afraid and she says no and then he says are you cold and she says yes and he says put your hands on your feet inside my fur. And so she snuggles down into the fur of this great white bear. And she's so warm in this freezing air that she falls asleep on his back, warm. And so the whole, the whole relationship between the girl and the bear um, is the crux of the story. Yeah. But it's, but it's always, it's all about the women when you look at it, right? Yeah mother and the daughter it's the girl and the bear it's the bear and the troll it's the girl and the three women she meets on her way to assist him it's the girl and the daughter of the troll queen and so it's all about the it's this incredible journey that she has and and trying to figure out how do you make something work when it uh, cooper says Cooper has a great Irish variant on this. That's a really fabulous story. 
and she writes him a note, right? At night, the, uh -huh. the heroine writes him a note. I'm here. Don't go to sleep. Don't drink the stuff, right? Don't, right? She writes him a note, which of course makes perfect sense. So how, when that doesn't happen in the Scandinavian, in the Norwegian version, what can happen to make that make sense? So I'm, I'm noodling with that now. I think I figured it out too, but you'll have to wait until I finish it, but it's going to be long. Yeah. It's at least 20 minutes. I was talking to Megan Wells and I said, I was trying to do this, but it's going to be an epic. And she goes, you, sh you should let it be 45 minutes and just do the one story as a whole show. And I started laughing. I yeah. said, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what she I said, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to do the story first and then I'll figure it out. Then I'll figure yeah. out what I'm going to do with it later. The one thing about being online so much now is that you can create your own venue. Right. But you yeah. have to get people to come. <laughs> you do, but you can. But you can. I mean, that's what's so interesting about it. You really can. I mean, we're averaging about almost forty people in open mic. Nice. And that's just the open mic. I mean, that's not. You know, it's not a big. It's not a big show or a big concert. It's people coming to tell stories. It's very relaxed. It's very. Um, it's very casual. I'm trying to channel my inner Liz and. That sort of um yeah liz weir does a great job with her She's so in, the, nice. in the open mic i mean i just think it's so it just works so well and but i i think the i think the virtual storytelling is works much better than i thought that it would mm -hmm. and although i i really appreciate the live ones Mm -hmm. I, I'm not so much so enamored of the ones that are recorded. I mean, I've seen live shows and, and watched them recorded after the fact because I couldn't make the live show, which is fine. But I don't understand the we're going to record your story and we're going to show that as opposed to showing the teller actually telling. I don't I, I kind of what's the difference between a videotape storyteller? How is that? So I know that some venue, I'm not going to mention any names because I, I don't want to cause a storm or anything like that, but I know that some of the large festivals sent vi video cameras to yeah. the participants. Um, that way they can guarantee a good quality picture, right? Right. And they, and they can control the, they can control all the variables, which right. I totally get. And I think, and if someone's not loud enough, they can adjust it there in the, in the editing of it when before and we, they. And it was, we may as well tell people it was the national festival. They did a great job, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I thought they did an excellent job. Well, Timpanogos did the same thing. They also, yeah. I I don't find that I'm I'm as enamored of, of watching a, a taped teller. You know, I don't, and I and you know that's just me. A lot of people are doing it, and they're just fine with it. You know, that's fine. But I but there's something about even about a live telling, even if you're online that, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why Megan Wells is, uh, she does a lot of online stuff and big shows, right. Hour long things. Um, you should see her Medusa is great. And the, um, but she has a Q and a after it. Right. I think that, yeah. And so there's this live feeling. And when we did Dracula, which feels like, light years ago but was only a few weeks now that i think yeah. um 
she did Dracula live. And then we had a panel afterwards. We had Amy Douglas and Liz Ware and myself and, and Megan. And um, we had questions from the audience and from the listeners. And we had, so we had this panel discussion going on and each member of the panel, you know, did five minutes on something they were going to talk about. Liz talked about the original folktale that Bram Stoker based Dracula on. And Amy Douglas talked about Samhain traditions. And I talked a little bit about the Gothic hero and, Gothic literature and and it was this really uh, lively discussion, right? In this event, and and I'm not sure, I'm not sure it would have the same energy if it was taped, if it was a recorded, it was a recorded story. There was something about being able to to interact with the listeners, even through the camera, right? That was. Uh, it was, it was, and you know, I'm trying, I'm thinking about this a lot, Simon, trying to figure out about this virtual space, right? How, how do we create community in a virtual space, right? Because I teach graduate school now, I teach grad students and we are online all the time now. You know, we are, we're, and we're doing, and my university uh, is doing, is actually doing really well compared to other places um, that aren't doing so well. And, um, I'm really interested in the virtual space. How do you create community in a virtual space? And if there's there's a lot of literature that talks about libraries as the third place. Mm -hmm. there's, home, there's home, there's work, and there's a third place that's important to you in your life as an individual, right? Homework and what's your third space? For a lot of people, the third space is their library, right? It's a community space. It has, right. there's interaction happening there and all that stuff. But now that we're online, now that things are virtual, what happens if, you're, if your third space is a virtual space? How do you create community in a virtual space? And so there's some, there's some stuff. Sorry, I just went off. <laughs> no, I th no, I think it's a really interesting question because, yeah. I th you know, um, it, it's, you need to create this place of trust right. to start with, right, and, and a place where people feel safe. Um. And I think that, you know, when you go into a library or you go to, you know, if you choose, you know, I'm just throwing things out there. But like if you go to a bar or a pub or whatever restaurant, then, you know, those places are going to be safe. Right. Because right. you might have been in there before, you know, you, or the place has got a reputation and creating that online community is going to be the same thing you need to create a, a place where people feel comfortable being um they know it's going to be you know it's like liz weir's thing right i mean there's right. nothing more comfortable i mean that you just want to drag the laptop and put it over the top right. of a fireplace and <laughs> that is the community space she is yeah create a community space there yeah so and i think you've done the same with yours i mean when we're i was trying we're trying well, I, th I think you're succeeding to be honest oh, good. thank you yeah. i i i'm I find it really fascinating. The whole thing is really fascinating. Um, so I'm interested. And, and a lot of people are getting to hear things they've never been able to hear before and hear tellers they've never been, been right. able to hear before and um, present work that, I mean, look at Reggie Carpenter's concert series. Oh my gosh. That is so good. God, Simon, you're, I, you were lovely the other night. You were wonderful. I was just, I was his, when Donna was telling, I was crying. Okay. I was laughing so hard. I was crying. And all I could think of was there are a few guys on this. 
<laughs> I wonder how they're doing. And we're just, I mean, I was weeping. And it was, it was just so much fun to listen to. I mean, Donna was, was just hysterical. And, and Megan's Lysistrata. Oh my gosh, that was so good. Was so good. And, and somebody said, well, you only finished it this afternoon. And I was just like, excuse me. Do you have any idea how many years she's been working on this piece? Yeah. How much research she's done? How much she knows about this, which is probably light years more than you know. And she, how long it took her to put that piece together. When she finally got it on the page, that was the last step. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't the work. The yeah. work came before that, right? Yeah. Months and months of work that she'd put in to trying to create this story and situate it properly and the whole, I mean, you know, whether, when, when you finally get up to tell the story, you've done months of work before oh, that yeah. comes out. Hours of and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Sometimes you'll find something This hardly ever happens though. So I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Sometimes you'll find a story and you'll get up and you'll tell it. Yeah. I've, yeah, there's a couple of those that, that for me, and it's, and it's just because it clicks with your psyche, it clicks right. with your personality, and it, it happens to be in the right place at the right time, and it just locks itself in your brain, and you got and it. Then, and then you can't do it again. Then you have to go back. Then you have to yeah. go back do the work, right? You can only yes. do it that first time. Then you have to go back and do all the work that you skipped. So true. you never get over. <laughs> you're always working on it. But it's like I don't think people realize. Well, why should you? Why should you get paid? All you're doing is talking. Oh my gosh! Right? I mean, and why should you? You're just telling a story. What's the big deal? Said so you're not paying for the 45 minutes. Yeah. You're paying for the 40 years. Right. That Elizabeth Ellis has been honing her craft. Right. You're paying for the decades of work that this teller has done on the stories that he tells. You're paying for the months of research that goes into creating a historic, a historical piece, right? So you're not paying for the 45 minutes. No. You're paying for all the work that went into the 45 minutes. Right. You're and paying for that, that, that storyteller's life experience as well, because that, that's, that's right. pulled because into the story. Is, right. Changes everything. Lucy Dove, when I first started telling Lucy, I was, gosh, was I even 30? I was never that young. Um, <laughs> I was a lot younger than I am now. And I mean, a lot younger than I am now. But the older I get, the more that story means to me. Right? The more that means to me because she's an old woman who's been tossed out of her job because she's old and slow. Right. You know, she's not as fast as she used to be. And um, she has nothing. There's no safety net. Right? She has no safety net. She's going to starve on the street or freeze to death because she doesn't have any money. And so this opportunity to get this sack full of gold for a foolish Laird who wants these lucky trousers um, is an opportunity that she takes. She takes, she takes the risk and uh, she does it and she does it true, right? She does it for true. She doesn't sew the trousers in her cottage and pretend Right. She goes to the graveyard and she shows, she sews the bloody trousers in the graveyard. Right. Mm -hmm. she sew them in front of her fire and make believe she sewed them in the graveyard. So um, she is, I, I am madly fond of her. I find in my old age, mm -hmm. very fond of her. And um, so that story has changed a lot over time. 
and my my relationship with that story has changed yeah so i think I, was a, I was talking to another storyteller we were talking about i think it might have been megan wells actually we were talking about stories that we can't tell maybe I don't um maybe it was carmen Didi. i can't remember it was it was i was talking to a storyteller and what we were saying was that there are some stories that we just can't tell you know we love them right we just can't tell them you know like beowulf which is behind me on the shelf up there i've got i got like i don't know five different versions of beowulf i've got the beowulf letters um poet book which papa joe gave me and you know there's there's a lot of background information i've looked into and i've tried to tell that story and and i haven't been able to and i think some of it is because our own you know going back to this life experience thing it's like we don't have that life experience where we can re- our life experience cannot reflect that story back to our audience you know megan talks about that too yeah maybe it was megan i was talking fact, to that sometimes your life you you have to come back to a story years later right yeah and suddenly it makes sense to you in a way that didn't make sense to you 20 years ago right you know and you find different layers of it and that i think is really i think that that's true and and sometimes stories you can't tell are stories that are too that you're too emotionally entangled in mm-hmm. you can't step away from them enough to have the control you need to tell them from the stage right, right. so there's stories like that i mean if you're crying when you're telling your story you need to sit down um sorry um, no i agree i agree it's just i mean you need to have a certain level of control so that your audience feels safe with you right and if you're right? crying on the stage they just want to get up and you, pat you on the they, back and say yeah, Are you, you okay have them taking care of you that's not that's not that's not their job Right. And it's our job to take care of that. Our job, really, it is. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is is really true. That sometimes you just you just can't um, you can't get the emotional distance you need until some time has gone by, right? And then you can figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it took me a really long time when I was. I'm very fond of the big lush romantic fairy tale. Um, I really like them a lot. I like the language. I like the whole, the whole setup. Um, I'm very fond of them and, um, telling them now is very different than telling them when I was 30 years old. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm 65 years old. So telling them now is really different than the way that I told them then. And I discovered that I needed, if I was telling a story, I, I tell this Spanish fairy tale called The Three Golden Oranges, which is a ridiculously romantic quest story. And I find that I have to be a little bit in love with the hero, right? I have to be a little bit in love with the character if I'm going to tell it because he has to be worth the effort. Right. You yes. Know? So, yes. So that's that's part of it, right? That's part of the... That's part of how it works. So I, I'm always interested in the next, what the next story is. You know, I'm, I'm working on East of the Sun and the S and next and West of the Moon now, and I don't know when I'm going to tell it, if I'm ever going to tell it. But I'm still working on it, and it seems to be the right story to work on right about now, because it's dark and it's getting colder, and it's yes, it seems to be the perfect story for right this moment. And uh, maybe I'll start working on it too. <laughs> Well, then we could have two different versions. That would be fun. We could, yeah. That'd be Let's fun. do that. Do you want to do that? Yeah. All right, and I'll get I'll get on that. I'll work. I'm working too. That'll that'll motivate me to do it because oh god, 
like I said, time has, I can't decide about time these days because either it's going by really fast. Cause you know, I've been inside my house since March. Yeah. No, you just tell me that. Yeah. It's almost a year. I mean, I've been out a couple of times, but, but not very much. And um, so, I mean, I've been in and it's practically a year now, really, when you think about it, yeah. December yeah. tomorrow, you know, and right. March is just a month, a couple of months from then. So, um, and that seems to be to have gone by really fast. Yeah. And yet, it, every day seems not so fast. Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, I think, oh, I'll answer that email in a minute. And then, you know, a week and a half later, I'm like, oh, I never answered that email. <laughs> and then you forget, you, yeah, I've I, I found that um, I've, you know, because I, I use Gmail. So it only shows yeah. 50 emails and then they go to the next page. And that has been frightening for me because it's like you know i should go back and have a look because i you know all of a sudden i got 300 emails that, that's a lot of pages yes <laughs> so let's go back and have it oh geez did i respond to this person and you're going through the sent emails it's like did i do crazy. this or didn't i do this i'm sure i answered yeah. it no you only thought you did right so i've been you I've, there's, your head. there's you thought right. in your head but you never yeah. wrote it down and sent it. i know and so i've been phoning up a lot of people saying do we talk about this i'm really sorry i I know it's, it's 2020, but did we talk about this? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. So I'm like, I talked to Megan. I was like, remind me, do I care about this? <laughs> she says, no. I said, okay, good. I'm just thinking about it now. So it's just, but we do a lot of work. I mean, I, I found that it took me a while, really. It's only lately to get to the point where I felt like I could actually create something you know, could work on a new story or work on a story. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I was, I was just the, the, the enormous amount of invisible stress that everyone is under. Mm -hmm. I mean, this incredible stress everyone is under and the anxiety that that induces and the, and, um, and how it, and how your energy is diverted into dealing with uh, the stress and the anxiety, as opposed to dealing with, you know, making dinner. Um I just, I think everybody needs to just be really gentle with themselves and, and take yeah. it easy, you know, take it easy and don't just try not to freak out. You know? <laughs> it's true. Food. Yeah. I, I make, I make gravy, um, tomato sauce for spaghetti sauce. Uh -huh. I make great, it's gravy, East Coast Italians, you know, anyway. Um, it takes three days to cook. Wow. It takes three days to cook. And so you put it on with everything that needs, with everything in it. And you let it, it simmers for three days. And um, by the time it's finished, it has probably reduced at least a third in the pot. And it's the color of a brick. Ooh. Right? It's this really deep, deep um, red brick color. And it is remarkably concentrated in terms of flavor. But in the meantime, for three days, your whole house <laughs> smells like this. And I remember that smell from when I was a girl, from when I was little. And I remember what that smell meant. It meant company. It meant, uh. it meant family coming over for dinner. It meant a house full of um, cousins and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and um, 
just in the same space talking and kids laying around and, and reading on the floor or, you know, watching, oh God, Hallmark movies. Oh my God. And that's what I do. I go to my sister's for a week at Thanksgiving and I go early, right? So I go this, I'm there the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. I'm there until the following Sunday. And people say, well, what are you going to do at your sister's for a week? I'm like, I'm going to watch Hallmark movies and drink Prosecco for a week <laughs> before anything starts. We're going to do That's what we're doing. We're going to drink Prosecco and watch Hallmark movies for a week. And they say, you can't do that. And I said, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, you can. And in the meantime, we're cooking and we're prepping stuff for dinner and we're talking and we're chatting and we go out because she has, she lives in a really beautiful spot in Western New York. It's very pretty there. And um, whereabouts uh, in Goshen, Goshen, New York, which is North of West Point. Okay. All right. So it's actually very close to Pennsylvania. We're actually not, we're actually an hour from Pennsylvania and less than, and um you know, it's beautiful there. And, and, and that, that, that smell of that, of that simmering sauce is all of that is all of those things. And, and yeah. we don't even eat spaghetti at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so that's not part of it. Turkey soup. We're big on Turkey soup and clam chowder. And um, so that smell really, so everybody has that, right? Everybody has some, kind of recipe that reminds them of those things and i find that really comforting yeah right and for three days i can have my house can smell like that for three days right so i have that comfort for three days which is that's nice nice. i highly recommend it i highly recommend it somebody told me they were using spaghetti sauce out of a jar and i was just horrified i was like really seriously it's so easy. All you have to do is be patient. As with so many things in life. The best things require right? patience. Yeah. Patient. So and, and you'll wind up with something astonishing when you're yeah. done. I've been told by those who know your work better than I do that your stories balance romance with justice. I also know that oh. your work I, I know that your work doesn't pull punches, which I really like. You enjoy the dark, bloody meat of those dark stories and you don't back away from that and you also hint at the the subtleties of justice through your stories yeah so talk about that a little bit if you if you will well stories are the advantage of writing your own story or recreating or reimagining a traditional story is that you get you get to make it it turns out the way that you want Right, you get to you get it to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. Um, I had someone. One thing that kicked off my East of the Sun and West of the Moon variant was somebody was discussing the, you know, the bear comes into the room at night and takes off his skin and climbs into bed with her, right? And so someone was discussing how that was, uh, it was a rape scene, and I was like, I just turned around and I said only if you tell it that way right only if that's the way you tell it so the trick with the retelling is that you get to shift that motivation and present that scene in a completely different way so i did it i yeah so i have a totally different scene there so anyway um also the 
metaphor is a powerful thing. And it is, it is the way that you can deal with extraordinarily raw and difficult emotions and still keep them contained and safe for whoever is listening to you. Um, is that you can, you can uh, use metaphor or analogy to, uh, to say what you mean. This is what this is like. This is how this emotion feels. Right. Um, so I think that language is very powerful and that storytellers work with words and that they need to choose the best word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Best words to explain what they mean. I think that, um, I think people yearn for justice um, because they feel that they don't, that they don't see it in the world as much as they would like to. Everybody feels as that much way. As they should. Everyone feels yeah. that way. And I think that there are terrors in the world that deserve retribution. And sometimes we don't get them. And I am a big believer in karmic justice. Mm -hmm. right? But when I'm retelling a story or I'm working on a story, the justice can be in the story. I don't have to yeah. wait for karma to bring the justice because I can bring it. I can bring it to the town. I um, I tell a story about a a sister, an older sister who discovers the murderer of her younger sister and how she brings him to a sticky but justified, justifiable end. Ooh. And um, and she uses the same tools that he used to seduce the sister to bring him to his end. Nice. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty elegant, actually. But it started out because there's a ballad called The Elfin Knight. It's a, yeah. a child ballad. And yeah. it's about a mess, a serial killer. And um, there's a lot of those in traditional story. Uh, Some things are never new. There's nothing new. And um, but there was a line in the story in the ballad that was so fabulous that I read this line and thought I have to build an entire story just so my main character can say this line at the end of the story. No way. He the the villain of the tale uh, seduces young women and uh, into runaway marriages, and he steals their jewels and he murders them. He throws them off a cliff into the ocean and they drown. So it's a blue beard, Mr. Fox type story. Yes. And so my heroine, after discovering this man who has never been discovered because he is, uh, he's such a good liar, um, realizes what he's done, knows that no one will believe her. And so constructs the plan to avenge her sister and all of the women that this man has murdered seven in all and at the end of the story um he winds up in the water and in the same place where he is where he drowned all these women and as he's trying to keep his head above the water seven pairs of pale white arms came up out of the sea and took him. And there, said Giovanna, seven brides have you sent to the bottom of the sea, 
and now you will be bridegroom to them all. And that's the line. Oh. It is such a beautiful line. Yes. And I I and it's and the story is based on the ballad, but not exact. I mean, there weren't there were there aren't sisters, but there was no way he was getting away with that in the story I was telling. <laughs> yeah. There was absolutely yeah. no way. So it was a question of how to put that together. And that story depends very heavily on the language that's used to present it. And you're very much into language because I, I know that you work with Rachel Ann Harding. Yeah. And she's told me, you know, because she's worked some of the stories with me just to run through them. And I'm like, is that a Janice bit right there? I try <laughs> yeah. not to do that too much. She comes up with her own stuff, you know. She does. She does. She really but there are, some, there are some phrases that you obviously suggest which are just so delicious that she can't say no to. She has the best version of Aaron Kelly's Bones I have ever heard. She does. It is. The I love it best version of when she when and i didn't we were working on that story and when she finished it, i said like rachel i said rachel that is the best yeah. best version i've ever heard it's the best so, so i was i was talking with papa joe about that story because i was going to i wanted a story about a bowron and so i was going to do it as a story of a as a bowron player and then i heard rachel doing it during covid and i was like there's no point in me to, this is just too good <laughs> But you can. It's just you have to I, your way in, right? You have to find your way yeah, in. Yeah, I, I can, but right, right now, I, I don't. Now I don't need oh, no, to. I wouldn't because... go near it. I look at. I look at that. Story, I'm like, why? Why would I do anything? Because look, there it is. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, it's really. That it's was so good. And she brought that story was whole when she brought it to me. I mean, we tinkered with it some, and we worked on the pacing and that kind of thing. But that story was whole when she brought it. It was nice and you know some yeah. of it is just like okay so what does this look like we talk about a tree in a story right and here the trees were all on the trees were blah, blah 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 right blossoms on the trees like okay so did you look up the tree well no i didn't look up the tree. i said well look up the tree because if you look up the tree you know what it looks like you have the image in your head and if you have the image in your head it'll come out of your mouth yeah. right? if you actually yeah. know what you're looking at Carol Birch has a great book on this, on on trying to on on creating the whole story, right? Even if it's not in the words that come out of your mouth, what you know about the story will still influence the way in which you tell it. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, knowing the color of the tree, for example, right? Knowing the color of the blossom. If you know the blossoms of the tree are gold instead of pink, right? That changes the image, right? It and does. it changes the way you describe the image. So you you look at it. There was food on the table. What kind? <laughs> what kind of food was on the table? You Where know, does the food. story come from? What kind of food did they eat? Yeah. What kind of food is there, right? Um, yeah. How will you describe it? Uh, we have um, in the dancing in the twelve dancing princesses. We have, I have them. They're walking through the woods, and the leaves are gold and silver. And when the wind blows through the leaves, they chime. Right. So now we have another image in the story, right? Now you can hear them. Yeah. Instead of just see them. So it's all about it's every, the devil's in the details, right? It's all about yeah. the details. Um, how do you get the how do you get the listener to see what you see? And the and one of the ways to do that is certainly language 
But another way is to make sure the image is very clear in your own head. Mm -hmm. No, I agree right? with that totally. So yeah, that yeah. you can, you know, I, I remember Carol years and years ago talking about knowing the landscape around your story. That it's not just a question of knowing the path through the story, it's knowing mm -hmm. the landscape around the story. So if you fall off the path, if you if you go off the path by mistake, you still know where you are. Right. Right. So you can still find your way back to the end of the story. Yeah. I mean, it's it becomes really um it's like those cartoons of of children imagining things, and you see these big thought bubbles that are full of dragons and superheroes and a sailboat on the ocean and are in these big thought bubbles and that's what stories are like right you start yeah, out yeah. with a little idea and then all of a sudden you get this this thought bubble that just ripples out till it fills the room all those images fill the space and you want to fill that space you want to you want to give your listeners something to take away with them when they go right like, yeah absolutely saw or or phrase that they heard or emotion that they felt that they can take away from the story when you're done. You know, it's part of the process and everybody processes differently. I mean, everybody has a different process. Right? What's when yours? How do you process through your story? When, when you find a story that you want to tell, what, what's the process that you go um, through? I'm usually, something catches my attention. Mm -hmm. right? I read a lot of stories and something will catch and, and sometimes I'll work on something right then. And sometimes I'll come back later and say, Oh, why didn't I tell that story? Well, it, it apparently wasn't ready to tell it then, but I want to tell it now. Mm -hmm. But I had a, okay, here's an example. So I found this Icelandic folktale. That's cheery. <laughs> it was about three brothers. And somehow they never explain in the story. They had the, each, each brother has a wish. And the first brother, the first, the two older brothers wish that their pockets will never be empty of gold. Right. And so it is. And the third brother, the youngest brother, he wishes that every woman who sees him will love him. We can just imagine how problematic this is actually going to be in the terms <laughs> of the story. Um, and that, that's the opening premise. And then it's like a, it's a quest tale, right? The princess is locked in her room. Whoever can get her out of the room can marry the princess, you know, that kind of deal. And the three, the three brothers set off the two older brothers, like surely the gold pockets full of gold, are enough to talk a princess out of her room. Of course it's not, but off they go to the palace. And on the way, they take the youngest brother with them. And on the way, he meets these women, the youngest brother. And in the, in the source that I found, in the source story, he has sexual, he has sexual relations with all these women they're all married women. They're all committing adultery and their husbands all beat them. And I'm reading this story and I go, well, hell, I'm not going to tell this story. And I couldn't shake the three brothers once had three wishes. And I thought, okay, so how do I subvert this story so that I can actually tell it? Right? Because there are a lot of stories about men beating their wives. There are a lot of traditional stories that have that as a trope. Right. Um, and there are some stories that need to die a natural death, right? Yeah. I mean, some stories yeah. need to die a natural death, period. That's all. Um, we could have a really long discussion about that. But some stories need to be subverted and upended and retold and reframed. 
So now my hero, who is Jack, the youngest brother, who I named Jack because I could, now he goes away with his brothers. They go on their way to the palace. And the first woman he meets is the innkeeper. And she is, um, she sees him as he jumps back off the carriage and he's stripping off his shirt as he walks to the water pump to wash because he's dusty and sweaty from the road. And she's watching him walk across the the yard and she recognizes this sort of sweet swagger that he has and he reminds her of her son who has long who was long gone away to war oh. and so the relationship between jack and the innkeeper is one of mother and son right she loves him like a son yeah and then the second woman he meets is the choir mistress in a town and she loves him like a brother and the third woman he meets is the fish woman, the fisherwoman who is fishing in the river. Um, she doesn't have a son or a brother. So, and her feelings about Jack were neither sisterly nor maternal. <laughs> and so we have our little payoff there because you have to have it. You have to have the payoff, but no one, but no woman is victimized in this story. And Jack is not a player, right? right. He can't be a player because if he's a player, then you can't root for him. Right. And he has to be the hero of the tale. And in order to be the hero of the tale, he has to be on some level an innocent. Right. right? And so eventually, you know, when when the the fisherwoman is just like, he stays with her for a week, right? And she's, and at the end of the week, she says, Now, Jack, it's been a real pleasure, but I have things to do and you need to, you know, move along. <laughs> you know? So she sends him off. <laughs> Um, and he goes to the palace after meeting these three women, all of which teach him something. All nice. Of him something. And ultimately, he is the one who talks the princess out of her room, but it doesn't happen in a minute, right? He comes up to the palace and he's looking for his brothers, and the princess's nurse sees him, and she doesn't know why, but she feels like he needs a little advice, so she hustles him down to the kitchen, which she introduces him to the cook who keeps giving him things to eat because you know, he's such a nice boy. And it's just, so there's this whole, there's this whole dynamic established between Jack and all the women in this tale, even the queen, right? She comes down and she sees Jack and she's like, she knows that he's not a prince and he's not a Lord and he's not a Royal suitor. And, but something in her says that he can save her daughter and that makes her love him. And so she agrees that he needs to spend the night outside the princess's door. So every night for weeks, Jack goes up to the princess's door and he sits on the floor and she sits on the other side of the door and they talk through the door and he tells her stories of his travels and she tells him um, stories that she knows and they sing songs and she sings him a song. He sings her a song that um, the choir mistress taught him and she sings him a song. And so the days go by and the weeks go by and the two of them are, talking every night until the night finally comes when Jack is on one side of the door with his hand on the door wishing and the princess is on the other side of the door with her hand on the door wishing. The king finds out, right? And he's pissed. And he comes barreling up to the where, the, where Jack is just finishing telling the princess the story of three brothers who have three wishes. And she's laughing at the youngest brother who wished that every woman who saw him would love him because she can see how that would be a problematic wish. And when the king shows up in the hallway and he, he's, he's ready to, you know, off with his head. I said, anybody who couldn't get her out of her room, head on a pike staff, 
you know, and the queen and the nurse get between Jack and the king and the princess is pounding on her door saying, don't you touch him, you leave him alone. And the king is like, no, 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 you can't, you know, don't try to suck up to me now. And he, um, and then you hear the princess say, I'm coming out. And the sound the, of the lock turning cracks in the hall. <sighs> and Jack is like, don't come out, don't come out. You can't come out. And he says, please don't come out. That, that boy that who made that that wish, that stupid wish, I, I don't want you to love me because of a wish. And she opens the door and he covers his face with his hands. And she comes out and she pulls his hands away from his face and he closes his eyes. <laughs> and she leans up and she says to him, so only he can hear her. She says, um... Jack, I loved you before I saw you. You know, the wish is yeah. broken. First, the wish, it's broken and everything will be well. And it was. And that's where we get to the end of the story. And um, that is a completely different story than the story that I read. And yet, the same things happen in the story I tell that happened yeah. in the story I read. Three brothers, three wishes, a journey quest story, a princess locked in her room, the two older brothers failing, the youngest brother winning. It's the, the same things happen in the story. Yeah. They are completely different from one another. Ah, I so like your story. <laughs> it's so much fun to tell. It's so much fun to tell. Well, yeah. I enjoyed it the way you told it just then. I can't even imagine what it must be like when you when you do the, the full version as oh, opposed to the... About 18 minutes long. Yeah. About 18 minutes long. But it's... um. But that's a totally different story than the story that I read. So sometimes I do that. I'll look at something and go, oh, what are we going to do here now? And some stories don't need a whole lot of work. Mm -hmm. You know, some stories just, as you said earlier, they just speak to you. And so they become, instead of working on something for a long time until it becomes part of your bones, it just kind of sneaks right in there. Yeah. Now and then you're lucky and you run across a story like that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. It does not. It happens very most few times. Most of them take work. Mm -hmm. and you need to have a goal, right? I mean, that seven, tell a fairy tale in seven minutes or less. I mean, that was a real thing for me. That really, and I'm still thinking about it. I still look at stories sometimes and wonder where will I fit it? Um, Snow White is about maybe 10 minutes, my version of Snow White. That's, um, that's a short version because... That's, yeah, that, that's at least a yeah, that's at least a fifteen-minute story, and that's sort of and because it's told in the first person from the point of view of the stepmother, it has a different it has a different feel to it, right? It has a different emotional feel. I mean, right. it starts out with um, I once trapped a demon under a jar, but that was nothing compared to that brat of a stepdaughter, <laughs> right? So that's the beginning of the tale, and and oh. she and her voice is like. I'm telling you, she was talking to me, Simon, when I was putting that story together. I mean, I really started out with this like dark feminine thing and this whole deep, and it turned into something. This woman started talking, she took over as the narrator of the tale. Wow. She took over. I started writing it in the third person and I was, I was doing the rewrite and I was like, oh man, this is just not working. What is the deal here? I can't make this happen. And all of a sudden that voice, you know, it was like, it tapped me on the shoulder and said, I once trapped a demon under a jar. I was like, oh, shit. 
I can't say that on the podcast. I was just like, look at that. And she just, you know, it just came out. You know, she her yeah. voice told that story. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, here we are. We I got it. <laughs> and I went back, you know, I tinkered with some things and I made sure that I had the the flow and the language the way I wanted it. And I wanted to make sure I kept those little those pieces that you remember, the heart in the box, the mm -hmm. the hair as black as ebony and lips as red as blood. You know, the prince looks down at her and she's sleeping in the hammock. Uh, luckily, she was not drooling and she did not snore. <laughs> she really did have lips as red as blood and hair as dark as ebony, right? So we get that we get that part. The whole three things, right? The I can't. How does it start in the in the in the traditional story? She gets uh, ribbons and stays, and she can't breathe because they she tight ties the ribbons too tight. Right. And then she gives her a comb, comb yeah. and she and the apple, right? And so in, mm -hmm. uh, in my version, it's all about her Snow White buying into um, the idea that you have to suffer to be beautiful. And so she ties her ribbon so tight she can't breathe and digs combs into her hair till her scalp is bloody and doesn't eat. She even has problems with fruit. You know, so and that's the that's the part where she says, "Look at this apple, it's completely rotten." She's trying to poison me, and the and the stepmother's just like, "Really? If I was trying to poison her, right? It's like if I was yeah. trying to poison her, she would be poisoned. They would not be. We would not be having this conversation." So it's this whole. Sometimes the story just goes where it wants. Yeah. You know, it doesn't go where you want it to, and you have to let it. Yeah, you have to run with it. You have to run with it. Yeah. It's the only way around it. So that's the, you know, and the, you know, the end where she's supposed to dance in red hot iron shoes. Yes. Right. So in the end of my story, she goes to the wedding and she dances so much. Her feet are on fire. And on the way home, she takes off her shoes and she hangs her feet out the window of the carriage. Nice. On her way home. <laughs> so it's just sort of, you know, it's we want to keep those 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 moments in the story that people will recognize. Yeah. You know, the heart in the box, the hair, the, and so and yet present them in such a way that they are seen differently. Yeah. So that she can stick her feet out of the window of the carriage and listen to free falling and on the radio. Doze on the shoulder, <laughs> her hus her royal husband's shoulder, all the way home to a palace empty of drama, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> i'm telling you ptsd from raising teenage daughters i swear to god i i've only got one and she's she's excellent she's not a, she's oh not a... i love mine i do i love and adore them i do more than anything in my life really mm -hmm. could you have any idea we were going to talk this long i i did not know <laughs> <laughs> really? um but Janice, it's been absolutely fabulous spending this time with you. I know that, you know, I didn't it get through so half of the questions that I could have asked you. Ah, well, Janice, thanks so much it was lovely for doing this. I really, I really appreciate you spending I did get tickets for the show we talked about, and her telling was every bit as good as it sounded and more. If you liked what Janice said and want to hear more of her work, contact her at storytelling.org forward slash Del Negro. That's D E L. N-E-G-R-O That's storytelling.org forward slash Del Negro 
Janice is also working on a series telling stories with Megan Wells. It's called Moonshine Stories and are told on the full moon. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should interview a certain folk and fairy tale myths and legends storyteller, send me an email. You can find me and my work on Facebook and on my website, Simon Brooks Storyteller. On Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Diamond Scree? Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout out to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use the wonderful music for my podcast. His band is called Blackpool Mecca. Check those guys out. They're fun. You can help me and help keep my podcast alive and support my craft by becoming one of my Patreons and paying anything from a dollar for an episode you enjoyed to a regular monthly subscription. In return, you get extras, early release, and exclusive content on my work. Patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. Thanks to all of you for supporting my little podcast. It is greatly appreciated. Want your name mentioned here? Join my little tribe. If you can't join these wonderful folks, then please help me out by doing something you can do. I would be very grateful if you would leave a review on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, wherever you find this episode. It won't take long, and it helps, not just me, but others, to find and enjoy this podcast. Thanks again for being here with me. I know there are lots of other places you could be, and I appreciate it. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and share the stories you love. Cheers. Simon out. It's just a story. That's the story. <laughs> yeah.